RTB AM. I was really triggered. We don't want Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World Cup. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. The latest episode of Lake Regale airs on Thursday evening on TG Car and it stars Aidan O'Mahony. Aidan, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. How has this whole experience been for you? Um, I think it's like one of those things, George, you know, when you uh, agree to do something, you were halfway through and you're kind of saying, why did I agree to that? Um, <laughs> but, um, I'd say on Thursday, I'd be... I kind of have, uh, I suppose, one eye open, but look, you're obviously, you look forward to it. It's obviously, um, it's a nice thing to do. Um, you know, I know like Kieran did it there now as well, and, you know, they're, they're great shows, but obviously you're nervous away because, you know, you're, you're going to be getting a lot of, I suppose, opinions on the whole documentary. Uh, but look, at the same time, um, I suppose people get an insight into the person maybe outside of the jersey. I was going to say uh, the phone call comes from the producers of Lake Regale and you're like yeah oh absolutely oh that's amazing and then the next day you're like oh shit I have to talk about all the stuff I don't want to talk about <laughs> exactly yeah so I think it's like everything they're very good to, to draw you in to start and then there's that mentioning things are like alright uh, we put that in we leave that out but look I suppose after writing the book there wasn't much I could actually leave out but um, it was enjoyable during like first I think recording it was up in our sheep farm in Glenflesk, and it was actually we were looking at the same day. My brother was actually dosing the sheep. I said it was funny. I was in a pair of shorts and the top that you obviously wouldn't wear well, I, if you were. I was going to say. I was going <laughs> to say. There's, I, so I, I've seen a good bit of it. I haven't seen the whole thing, but I've seen like I've seen about forty minutes of the hour and the shot of you with your brother fully properly dressed for farming and you in your, your tiny little white runners with the socks barely visible. I'm not even sure if there were socks. I was like, that's not farming gear. This guy's not a farmer. <laughs> I said, what are the chances to land back to a white converse? And then he's, he's dosing sheep, and I said, ah, this isn't going to go down too well. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it, was, it was nice. Uh, look, that's, that's why I grew up. Um, my brother Noel um, obviously stayed on the farm, and uh, it was actually, it was kind of special to see that day. It's, it hasn't changed where all the neighbours kind of would come around and give you a hand to dose the sheep, and you would have to go and do theirs. It was like the bog. It was very similar, but uh, it was nice to get it in. It was actually very special to get it in, yeah. I did, because um, the the uh, narration, the voiceover at that point, talks about growing up in this rural idyll. And I do think that we kind of, we have this tendency to fetishise rural life as like being uh, amazing. But actually, it's really difficult. And rural isolation is a real thing. And... The importance of the GAA club for you growing up to uh, not just be on the farm running up the mountain all day, but actually to socialise you and the rest of um, the young men of rural Ireland is something I think is, is kind of it comes across a little bit in it. It was a release, yeah, because it, it would have been very easily, I think, going up on the farm um, where everything becomes about the farm, you know, as I said, after school, into the car, back to Glenflesk and you know, back then there was no tractors. You couldn't actually travel. If you got, um, like, if you got a good view of that place, you'd see the tractor can go up the fields and stuff. So everything that had to go up, whether it was timber or nuts or hay, had to be carried on your shoulders. So obviously the GA thing then was, like, as I always said, I, I wasn't one of those lads that wanted to be the next Mikey Sheehy or, you know, Bomber Lister and these guys. You know, I didn't even think they'd play football. But 
I think when you were young, you had a bike, you start traveling and we just started cycling to Rabeg and get involved on the rage and stuff. So it was kind of release valve from that. But um, at the same time, look where I grew up farming was a huge part of society and the community. It's funny, Aidan, because there's a lovely cinematic shot in the in the in the episode as well, and and you kind of think of the Cork Kerry rivalry and as something that ebbs and flows, and at times, certainly in the mid noughties it was it was quite heated, uh, maybe not so at the moment, but that that uh, that Blackwater Bridge that that separates Knockdegree and in, in Cork and your own parish in Rathmore, it it kind of highlights like you're one of those people who who lived very close to the Cork Kerry border, so the rivalry to you probably was always there. Yeah, and it was great. It actually made the, I suppose, the Kerry Park Derby is even more special when you're, when you're living at the border. Um, I said, the only worrying thing now is I have a nephew actually playing fullback from Cork, with Cork, from not the region. <laughs> He's on the other side of the border now, but uh, it's amazing how things uh, turn out. But like that, yeah, there were special days, like I suppose for Atmore, there's a split between the two parishes and that massive divide. So, they made the days more special for us, obviously, with some tough days as well, having to go back to Ramore after losing. And like even Nola Lera there, I was talking to him last week. You know, you, you make unbelievable friendships out of us. Like, I was one of those players, like, yeah, I always played Nation and I wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but at the same time, once it stayed in the pitch, that was it for me. You know, we, we all had a job to do, we had a job to do for the team. And those Kerry Cork games, there was massive battles because I remember even under Conor Coonan, they were one of the greatest cock teams I've seen. Like they were never beaten. I know, yeah, they won one all Ireland. But every year they kept coming back. They turned us over but both from Parky Queeve. You know, we didn't get beaten in Clarney, but they threw us, I think, once or twice. So we had some massive battles and look, neither team took a step back from each other. I think there's a healthy respect from those both teams for each other then. Um the the team that you were part of, there was a wildness to you all coming through. Um there was on the team yourself, Galvin, uh, Tomas O'Shea. You never quite knew exactly what you were going to get as the opponent, but you knew that it was going to be fiercely fought and fiercely contested. I can only imagine what the training is like. Yeah, so I, like Jack, I think had a good way about him as well, and he's a good way of kind of controlling this at the best of times. Um, I actually met him during the summer this year. I think he was kind of pinching himself with the group he is now or <laughs> something. Um, but so um, it was, look, everyone wants, like, I think, Joe, when you get in first with Kerry, it's about hanging in there and trying to get through the hard training and proving that you're, you're worthy of being inside there. Then when, when you get through that part, it's about getting a jersey. And that was, that's no different to anyone in Kerry. Like that, there's a selfish element. You get through the hard training, get through the hard slog. Then you want a jersey. You want to be on that first 15. And you play to your strengths. And as I said, look, myself and Paul came in 2004 with Jack. We probably brought a different element. They'd have probably seen after 2003 with Tyrone. Look, Tomas, what can we say about Tomas? He's just one of the greatest footballers of all time. You know, and um, he was a leader in the dressing room as well when he spoke. Everything was articulate and, you know, it meant so much. So all these lads, I think, to grow up and play with them, you know, looking back now, it's it, it was amazing because they just had so many strengths. And yeah, no, there was... A wildness to us as well, like but I suppose it was part of who we were. That um that ninety eight All Ireland semi final between Kerry and Kildare features as well, Aidan. I know that's you were playing on the minor team, I think, that day and watching the senior game afterwards yeah. clearly left an indelible mark on you as well. Yeah, I I came up to the that uh, All Ireland semi final, I broke my nose a few weeks before it the first time in Mini um, and I missed out no one's final but after playing 10 minutes in the Northern final uh, I suppose as a young lady you don't expect it and then you're brought on 
But just watch him coming out after. Um, <clears throat> it was exceptional. Like, it was like you had these kind of gladiators coming out through the, the tunnel and uh, like the conditioning of them and just like you could just see in their faces the emotion and what that whole thing meant. And something like definitely that day kind of stuck me saying, geez, I, I want some of that. But at the same time, I was kind of being realistic as well. I think I was number 21 or 22, so very minor. So they were looking at that and you're kind of saying that's a long way off. But <clears throat> look, that's, I suppose, for any young lad to kind of say that if you don't make underage and minors or under 20s and stuff, it's not the end of the world. You know, there's always time to make it. And you end up being man of the match in an All-Ireland final. Uh, the one that I wanted to talk to you about, though, was the Donegal game, um, where you've you've been a stalwart of the team, an all-star, and then you've come out of the team for various reasons, which we can get into, and then you're back in the team, and you're tasked with the uh, the job of man-marking Michael Murphy in an All-Ireland final. Um, like, if you, if you talk to anybody who knows anything about Ulster football, they would have Michael Murphy at the absolute apex of impact and talent and like character you know he's basically there's him and Canavan are kind of the the gods of uh, they're definitely on Ulster football's Mount Rushmore and um, and yet there's no way you win that All-Ireland without your performance that day what's the build up to that like what's in your head like how do you perfect what you're going to have to do and how do you make peace with like your job is just to be the destroyer on the day yeah, so, Jesus, destroyer is a very hard word, John. And <laughs> uh, look, for me, look, there was a story in that all Ireland, I think it was two years. My dad passed away in 2012, and uh, we buried him. We did a county challenge game at home, and I made a promise to him that I'd get up the steps of the Hogan in his memory. And sometimes you make these uh, promises and they, they don't come true. And, like, the last conversation I had with him um, before he passed away was... The, my seven Denise were coming home from the All Ireland final, Donegal playing me up, and he was speaking about Michael Murphy in the goal. And he actually spoke about Ian O'Shea as well. He was speaking about it to them, and we didn't get to speak again. And I remember the way 2014 unraveled. 2013, I got a bad injury, and I thought it was finished. And 2014, I was just helping on fulfilling that promise. And then the way it unraveled, the semi final, I got to mark Aidan O'Shea, and then lo and behold, Michael Murphy's there in the final. So all of a sudden, our phone call was popping up. And um, for me, that day, I was just, uh, I, I put in a massive year, I suppose, work wise, training wise, everything we've done to see. Um, I was always one of those players that if we were training at half six, I'd be there for five o'clock. I loved walking out in the pitch of the stadium for maybe 20 minutes on my own. Um, I'd say the players thought I was mad, but that's who I was. I was always there then. Um, and then everything <clears throat> was based around that final. And the night before, Eamon had a great way about him where we had meetings and we, we just kind of looked promising. And I just said this, I'd mark my more field of the game. And I think I said it three times and it wasn't being an arrogance. I just kind of walked out the door after saying, why did you say that? You're putting way more pressure on yourself. And uh, look, the game just, look, Michael Murphy is, like for me, um, on the pitch and off the pitch, he's one of the top, top guys in the jail. Absolutely. I have so much respect for him. We had so many battles. Um, I remember being above in Betty Buffet and all these places, like, and it's snowing. And I look at him saying, oh, God, he's the last guy I want to see coming in top of me today. And that day, you know, things just worked out for me. Um, you know, I was just. I suppose you're kind of driven insane to succeed. And I knew myself that if I failed at my task, I'd fail the team. And like, that's the kind of pressure you need to put yourself on in big games. As you said, you've all the work done. I had all that in my mind. I was in a healthy place and it was just going out there and doing everything possible, I suppose, 
to mark him out of the game and um, just to play in his quarters and we were talking about the loops and let's get him on the ball and look, it all worked out fine when the rest were doing their job then like so I was only a small cog in that, that All-Ireland final but I still had that job to do and I was relishing it I suppose leading into the three weeks leading into it. The, the bit you, you talk about um, your dad in that, like we listened to Rory McIlroy yesterday talking about his battle was to not let the emotion of who he was fighting against prevent him from playing well. How do you how do you stop your grief from interfering and your desire not to let down your dad and the promise you made from actually, so how do you separate those two things? Use it as an inspiration but equally not let it overawe you. Yeah, like I like I remember when I walked away in 2010 when Ash like I was mentally in a weak and a bad place. And I remember when a dad passed away in 2012, I think all those moments in 2010 helped me to, I suppose, get over it and to deal with it. And I suppose to turn something where for me it was sport and my dad would keep all the clippings of games stuff, but to turn something like that into a positive and then to go on a journey for him to repay him for all I suppose everything he'd given for me in all those years of cutting out pieces of papers and going to games and I said the biggest thing I could ever give to my dad was after we home for games um, you know as some people always say to me sometimes he should give you a kick up the arse to see what you cop on but he didn't he said nothing you know he was a, a positive man and that really I suppose <clears throat> was embraced by me so in that 2014 final it was very easy I suppose <clears throat> unattach myself from that promise because I had a job to do uh, and I knew that I wouldn't fulfil it unless I completed my job that day so it was very easy to separate the two. There's an incredible scene where you're leafing through those scrapbooks. Uh, did, you, did you know that the scrapbooks existed or did you only find out afterwards that he'd kept every, every scrap of paper and every match report? Yeah, I knew he had, I suppose, um, some uh, paper and stuff like that, but I didn't know, I suppose, the extent of what he had collected. And, like, when he retired from work, uh, we were sitting room at the front of our house, and I used to come home from the park, and I'd have to go down to the sitting from my bedroom, and uh, he'd be inside watching the games. You'd hear, you'd hear the matches about a mile down the road. He'd come up to the last, and uh, he'd be watching watch all the games. It was like an analysis before his time. And next, I hate watching the game, so he'd pause it when I come in. And I come in, he'd talk away about gamble training. And I go back out the door again, I sit into the car next to here, the, the video near inside. So he loved it, it was part of his life, but just to get the scrapbooks and um, to see what amount of work he'd put in, because I'd say he'd have a bit of blue tack and glue in Ratmore bought. I said to put in all that stuff into those scrapbooks, but um, they're amazing to look back on, and he was an amazing man. Uh, in one of the one of the low points, and and look, you speak very eloquently about your mental health struggles in the in the documentary as well. Um, it was two thousand and five, so after the All Ireland final loss to Tyrone, and again, it's covered in the book. We have the copy of the book here in the studio with us uh, today. If I'm getting the shot there, uh, unbroken, and that and that that really is a word that 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 springs to mind because you failed the drugs test in oh five after the final salbutamol, which was a banned substance, um, then you get the therapeutic use exemption because, of course, the your battles with asthma as well uh, as something that, that's covered heavily in the early part of the documentary but that must have been post-2005 All-Ireland Final quite a low point for you um, it was actually 08 oh, oh, sorry um, yeah after the final yeah, yeah. so like, 
It was, but I think even leading up to those, even the diving incident and the asthma, I think, I think my mind was in a bad place. In a, um, and it wasn't even those incidents. It was, I suppose, not dealing with stuff, I suppose, coming through the years. And the the asthma thing, yeah, it was it was tough because I'm one of those people like kind of, I've a, kind of a quiet nature and when you grow up in that kind of a background, you don't know how to deal with these things. And it's very easy to kind of put on a show or a front for people because... As I'm always saying, when I played with Kerry, you played in the edge and you played in the line. And, you know, you, you see, you think that you need to show that to people as well, that you're not. Where I look back now and say, I respect myself for what I did and I respect my family for, I suppose, backing me. And, you know, when I was in that mindset back then, I was saying, geez, if I, if I do this, if I do that, I'd be, it'd be shown as a weakness. <clears throat> and then the inheritance came along and it, it kind of flattened me because it, it went on for four months. Um, I lost total form in football and he, I actually had much interest in the GA at the time then and then it showed in 2009 um, you know I got dropped from the championship after the final and it went from one to the other and when you're in that kind of mindset you're kind of saying geez why me why are all these things happening and um, I couldn't tease them things out back then and as I said 2010 I just had to step away from it I remember going out after games and you're out socialising and you're crying because all these emotions are coming up and you're not enjoying life and stuff like that. And uh, it comes to it. And as I said, and we spoke about my dad there, um, the morning I went to Ashery, like my dad was at the kitchen table crying. And for a man of his generation to be like that and to show those emotions just showed me that the position or the place I was in at the time. And um, I think reflecting back on the book and on Lake Regale, that was the hardest thing for me. Um, I suppose reliving that and probably say to myself, how do you let you let yourself get to that position? But at the same time, I suppose I kind of have to give myself some of the kudos for coming out the other side and not going down the path that, you know, I didn't know where I was going to go. What's the turning point for getting out of that? <clears throat> uh, the turning point is just, I suppose, dropping your barrier or dropping your guard and getting help. And I suppose we've... Great now, team sports psychology is so important. And um, I do a course there through Kerry J. And um, you just see the importance of what these people bring to groups and panels. And I know we, we had sports psychology back then. I didn't use it because I thought I was involved that and stuff. And then I wasn't dealing with all these things. And I was letting snowball. And, um, you know, I was turning my life upside down. As I said at the time, I wasn't a nice person to be around. I was distant from my family, but I was just continuing life. Like, there was no, it was no different. So, like, your turning point is just being able to communicate with people. And I think, you know, we did a seminar there a couple of weeks ago with Tony Griffin. It was just fantastic to see someone just uh, <clears throat> just drop everything and talk about themselves because it makes you more open as well. And I can see now from uh, a football side or uh, a sports side that if you have a team of people that, that you know about, you know, like, what they've done or what they've accomplished or what they've gone through then you're more open to them as well and when you want to pitch in you're back with your life that's the, the fundamental part of this for me Aidan is that uh, you might even have been an even better footballer than the multiple All-Ireland winner All-Star man of the match in the All-Ireland final if you discovered this as a 16 year old like I, you know I that came out wrong but like I guess what I'm saying is that no, no. Y- yeah. you didn't have to you didn't have to have that anger to be the player you were like if you if you listen to Wayne Rooney now for example he talks about his anger management problems and they caused him 
uh, even more achievements than he already had. And when that's somebody at that ultra high level, and you're at the, like a similar level in GAA, where your your desires to win all Ireland and you can do it, and your desires to help your teammates be Player of the Year and you can do it, that like we probably need a bit of a culture shift to get to the point where you don't need to be angry all the time to be your best. No, but <clears throat> I suppose you need to. You need to have players. I always say this. I think it's a, it's a good way of putting some of the said before. You need fellas in the pitch to, to do the dirty work for the rest of them to shine. <laughs> so I probably look at it that way, George. Uh, but no, like I, I think you're right in two ways. That like for me, um, I, I hadn't in my mind to play football at an elite level growing up or at 15 and 16 years of age. I was getting more fun out of soccer. Um, I love soccer. Um, I have no problem saying that. And I just think the way things happen, I think everything happens in life for a reason, Jerk. And I think I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, look, we regrets. You deal with them, you tease them out, and you see why did it happen. <clears throat> and you need to move on. Like life is precious. I know myself now. I have two kids at home, three and a half, five and a half. Um, I got into hurling management to just to to really put, put another, I suppose, challenge in front of me. And you know, that's the importance. The importance is your family and your sporting career is your sporting career. And you look back and say, yeah, you know, I, my challenge is there. Um, you know, I gave what I could for the Kerry jersey. And I, and I, I genuinely did. So I, like, as I say, blood, sweat and tears. Um, I knew that when I drawn that jersey, there's an onus on you that every day you go out, um, you're expected to win. And I'm always saying, it's not an arrogance down here. It's what's expected if you. If you don't win all earns, um, it's seen as a failure and it's a good thing in life as well because it put, it makes you I suppose <clears throat> it makes you more driven and whatever you put your mind in after you finish your sporting career like I'm in the fitness business now I need my work as a community policing in Tralee like it's important for me to be open when I get to schools and talk to people and I think people can be more open with me then, then as well especially young people that they're not thinking no matter any uh, five time all arm winner walking in the gate saying oh sure it's fine for him he had a great sporting career and you know, what would he know about mental health or, you know, going through a tough time? So I think I, I wouldn't change anything, Joe. I think your sporting career is more than medals. Like I look at like Salih Keegan and all these guys, they had amazing sporting careers and they live amazing memories. And you don't need a medal um, to, you don't need to have a medal on your, I suppose, placard inside your house to, to know what you've done in your career. 100%. Aiden, great stuff. Congratulations on the Lake Gale. Enjoy it as much as you can on Thursday evening. It's great. Cheers. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.